A great day to be a Yankee fan, which means it's a bad day for everybody else. As we uh, welcome you here into the Sports Zone, I'm Pete McCarthy, uh, and we'll be breaking down a, a big night for the Yankees. Another name added to the Mets general manager hunt that we can break down. And we'll take your phone calls as well at 800-321-0710. But last night, not only did the Yankees win a do-or-die AL wildcard game against a 97-win opponent, the way that they did it, everything that they could have asked for to go right, went right. Everything they wanted to see so that they could be in a strong position going forward was there. There were questions about Giancarlo Stanton in his first ever playoff game. Hits a home run. Aaron Judge, when he had the same pop after the broken bone in his wrist that knocked him out for over a month, he hits a home run. And both of them monster shots. Luis Severino, how is he going to fare Back in that wild card game. And while they didn't ask him to pitch long in this game, just four plus innings, he struck out seven, had the A's off balance, and did what your job is as a starting pitcher at this point in the calendar, which is just give four or five innings. That's plenty. The bullpen, a question mark at times for this team. Dylan Batances came on with men on base, got big outs, six outs total from Batances. Looked like a major weapon which would be a big difference from what he gave to them in last year's postseason run. And even Aroldis Chapman able to strike out a pair in that ninth inning. It is not just that the Yankees won and extended their season. It's how they did it. And a lot of positives for them going into what should be a fun series in the ALCS. It always is when it's the Yankees and the Red Sox. Unless you're a Mets fan, then it's terrible. (laughs) <laughs> there is, I don't know what to tell a Mets fan uh, when these two teams are going at it in the playoffs. I've handled it different ways in the past. Back in 2003, I rooted my butt off for the Boston Red Sox. There was the Yankees were the evil empire, right? They were enemy number one. No beef with the Red Sox. That's one in 86. Went. All in on the Red Sox. Heartbroken when Aaron Boone hit the home run. I'm sure Red Sox fans felt it more than I did, but it it was tough. I was at a party. I had to leave immediately. As soon as off the bat, I'm like, I'm out of here. I don't even want to see him touch home plate. 2004, the Red Sox actually win. I wasn't as invested in it as I was the previous year, but to see the Yankees stumble, blow a 3-0 lead, loved it. Then that week, I went up to Boston for the first time. And I realized there is no winning when the Yankees play the Red Sox. I remember going up to Boston, and I was out at a bar, and the Red Sox were playing game one of the World Series against the Cardinals that year. And buddying up to people, oh, they have Red Sox. Yeah, I've been rooting for them. Yeah, yeah, a big Mets fan. So Mets fans, Red Sox fans, Sepatico, yeah, we're all in it together here. Wait, wait, what? Huh? You're a Mets fan. You're from New York? Eh, you're not You're not in on this. It probably didn't help that I was wearing a Chad Pennington jersey at the time. But anyway, there's no winning. There's no good option for you as a Mets fan. The Red Sox are simply a less evil thing, or, or at the very least, less in your face than all the Yankee fans that you see at work or school 
or at the deli. The Red Sox, unless you're around Boston people like we are with producer Ray here, a big Red Sox fan, uh, you, you can get away with it a little bit. But there, there's no winning. There's no real rooting for a Mets fan in these situations. The only solace I could give is that you've seen them both win a bunch before. It's nothing new. If one of them goes to the World Series, wins the whole thing, how many times have you seen the Yankees win now? How many times have you seen the Red Sox win now? Yeah, it's old hat. Okay, they add another one to the list, and when the Mets have to try to catch up with championships, they'll just have to win twenty. Well, we have to twenty six in a row at that point to to catch up and make that happen. So, uh, yeah. Not not good. Not good for the Mets fan. Not a great day. Uh, but I'm telling you, you know, just looking at it objectively for the Yankees, last night was a big night. And I know you could look at Yankee fans and last yesterday, they're concerned about this game against the Oakland Athletics, and now everybody's confident going into this series against a one hundred and eight win Boston Red Sox team. And you know what? They're right. They see it right. I love the Yankees in this division series against the Red Sox. I don't love the Yankees, but they should be the favorites in this series. The Red Sox, as I've talked about over the last couple of nights, they have major questions in their bullpen. And if there's one area of your team that you cannot have question marks in going into the postseason, it's your relief core. You have to be able to dominate when you take a lead and hold on to it. We're asking these bullpens to throw at least four innings every single playoff game. And Chris Sale is compromised. David Price hasn't pitched well against the Yankees in the past. They're going to trust a knuckleballer to come out of the pen? They're going to trust some of the back-end starting pitchers to come out of the pen and get big outs? Worked for Houston last year. But that's a big adjustment for guys to make on the biggest stage possible. Not just the playoffs, but now you're in this Yankee-Red Sox rivalry on top of it all. Where it's not going to be your typical postseason series. You talk about pressure. Boy, Boston, a 108-win season. They've been knocked out early in the playoffs the last couple of years. And now they got to back it up right away against the Yankees? That's a must win in Boston. So, yeah, uh, there's going to be some pressure on them. And I just think the Yankees are going to be in a strong position here to have Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton get off to good starts in the playoffs in that wild card game. Add Luis Severino, Roldis Chapman, Dylan Batances to that list. A lot of those guys were, to some degree at least, question marks and guys that you needed to have come through. And they did that first game. It buys them at least a little bit of time. What, like the first two games of the division series, and then if Stanton goes 0 for 8, uh, everybody will panic about it again. But it buys them a little bit of time. It buys the Yankees a little bit of time here. And more importantly, they have some things to really feel good about. You know, if they had eked by the Athletics last night and maybe Chapman was shaky or Stanton didn't do anything. Some of these things, all right, well, they're moving on, but you wouldn't feel great about them in that series against Boston. But the way that it played out last night, I think portends very well for the Yanks in this division series against the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Not only that, how about from the A's point of view last night, Fernando Rodney, after the game, told reporters that 
once I saw Judge hit that ball, I said to myself, this is over. Referring to Judge's home run in the first inning. Man, how how soft are you as a team? And I'd say inexperienced, but Rodney's been around the game forever. He's 40-something years old. He's 41. How are you saying it's over after a first-inning home run? I mean, come on. I know the place was jumping, but you got to have enough confidence you can come back. The A's, they've been a terrific come-from-behind team all year to think it's over in the first inning and you have Liam Hendricks starting the game. He might have been the worst pitcher they put out on the mound all of last night to think that that first inning was going to beat you is ridiculous. And if I was Oakland, I would hope he was the only one thinking that. I wouldn't be in a hurry to bring that kind of guy back. Now, you could credit him for being honest, fine, but come on. You can't think it's over. He gave up a home run in the first inning. Uh, the Yankees, uh, the 7-2 win last night. They move on. We'll start the ALDS tomorrow. Tomorrow's one of the best baseball days of the year, where it's the only day in the postseason that you're guaranteed four games on the same day. So tomorrow will be cool. I always love that. And if you get lucky, you get another one of those days early next week. But this is the only one that's guaranteed, and you'll have baseball from... 205, first pitch, Indians at Estros, all the way through the Braves and Dodgers who start up after 9.30. So that game will end at about 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so you, know, you got a full day of baseball tomorrow. That's always a lot of fun. Love that day. And you know we'll keep you updated everything happening here. The Brewers with a 2-0 lead on the Rockies. They're in the top of the fourth inning. Christian Yelich, a two-run homer in the third inning. Boy, it's even something else. Uh, he's going to wrap up the NL MVP, starts the playoffs, and in uh, in big time fashion with a huge two run homer for the Brewers. And by the way, everyone knocking the A's for deciding to go with the bullpenning strategy last night. Brewers doing the same thing. It's working a little better for Milwaukee. So everybody's like, oh, see, this stuff doesn't work. Mm. Cool your Jets a little bit uh, after it didn't work for one night for the Athletics, after they did have a lot of success with it all of September. And I'm no big bullpenning guy. I didn't think it could work over the course of the regular season, but you got to say it's been successful when you look at what the Rays have done, what the A's have done, and how it's worked out overall. Uh, we'll mix in some calls tonight, 800-321-0710. I know we always have a lot of Mets fans here, so we'll get your Mets talk coming as well uh, with the uh, Mets general manager search and some new developments uh, according to reports today, so we'll tell you all about that. And I'd love to know as a Mets fan, how are you planning on handling Yankees, Red Sox for the uh, 1,000th time, it feels like. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. 800-321-0710. The number, Yankees, Red Sox, once again in the ALDS as uh, they'll go head-to-head. That's mystery to it, I guess. But there's no winning, uh, not not for a Mets fan as far as that goes. Um, yeah, elsewhere in yesterday's game there for the Yankees uh, in their win over the Oakland Athletics, you had some positives. And another thing they didn't have to do, they didn't have to go to the other starters. They didn't have to go to Masahiro Tanaka or Jay Happ. And now Jay Happ will start games one and games five. For the Yankees, you would assume, uh, against the Red Sox, they'd love that matchup. 
Now, Red Sox have had a tough time with Jay Happ. And the Yankees be able to utilize him twice in that series. So that worked out. You know, I thought Happ was the best bet for the Yanks in the wild card game. And now hey, they won anyway with Severino. He pitched well. And they could go to Happ right at the outset in this division series. And we'll get into Chris Sale and some of the issues that he's been having uh, coming up. And while you know, today is a great day for the Yankee fan, uh, also I, it's some shame uh, coming out of Yankee Stadium. There's a video that was taken at the stadium last night where you get the sense of what it was like to be in the seats out in left field when Aaron Judge hit his home run in the first inning. And everybody's jumping up and down. You can imagine the energy in the ballpark. And then you see in this video a fan, a Yankee fan, one would presume, empty his beer, throw his beer at an Oakland A's fan. This is a guy by himself wearing an A's jersey. I think it was an Eric Chavez shirt in the stands at Yankee Stadium. And the guy gets soaked. He turns around. He's looking a little bit. He turns back towards the field. Then the guy throws the empty cup and hits him in the noggin. And the guy turns around again, and he's not hurt or anything like that. But you go to a game to root on your team, right? You expect a little back and forth. That could be fun. Yeah, somebody dump a whole beer on you. That's a, it's messed up. And, you know, the Oakland Athletics did a really cool thing on social media where they had a picture of the guy from the video and said, hey, if anyone's seen this A's fan, we'd love to hook him up with some, you know, specialty things. And uh, they actually did manage to track him down. John Spencer is his name. He's a New Yorker, transplanted from California, fan of the Oakland Athletics, and the A's are going to send him a care package. It's pretty cool. That's nice of the A's to do that kind of thing and recognize your fan that, Probably had a long night at the ballpark, a long wet night at the ballpark, and uh, that uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty heads up by the uh, by the Oakland Athletics. But that's terrible. And listen, it's not just a Yankee thing that happens. All ballparks, all sports, all stadiums. Uh, you're always going to get the idiot that's going to take it to the next level of people that aren't even there, maybe necessarily for the sport. They're there to you know, cause some chaos, jump around, like the energy, and hey, troublemakers. And now nah, it's clearly what happened last night it's not just uh, about yankee fans but it is uh it's i think tough you know if you're a mets fan last night for instance producer mark yes mets fan last night you get out of here at what about midnight yes. a little before then you go to penn station and you had terrible timing from I, what i understand i was already in a bad mood because the subway took me 50 minutes to get from Canal Street to Penn Station. Which should be about 15. If that. It's yeah. a 10-minute ride. So yeah. I was already in a bad mood. I missed the train. I had to wait an extra hour because I live in Long Beach, so it's an hourly train. Mm. Already in a terrible mood. Then I get to Penn Station, and all of a sudden, throngs of Yankee fans start walking in. More and more cheering, being annoying. They're drunk, obviously. Oh my, If you could put my worst nightmare in a bottle... It would be Penn Station surrounded by happy Yankee fans after a big win when I have to wait a whole hour at Penn Station. Any highlights, uh, either that or even on the train ride home? No, it, it, there was no highlights. It was only <laughs> lowlights, Pete. It was terrible. Only the lowlights. Yeah, yeah, it reminds me, I remember in 2006 going to Game 6 at Shea Stadium between the Mets and the Cardinals. 
And I went through Penn, and it was unbelievable. It's just the Jose, Jose, yeah, Jose. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, those chants over and over. That was before the game started. Uh, after the game, it, it does. It is a different kind of energy, even after a win, because everybody's already lubricated, if you will, yes. uh, to the nth degree. I was just mad that the train was packed, too. Like, it's a, a Wednesday night. Why would my train be packed? Why do I have to fight for a seat? Well, you know, people deal with it when the Rangers win, too, right, at the Garden? That's a good point. But well, the Rangers are bad this year, so it doesn't make a difference. And you're Ranger fans. You wouldn't yeah. mind it. Exactly. I you, would not mind. You'd be one of the revelers. But it, it's when it's not your team, it's different. It, it's one of those things, one of those little things that is uniquely New York. And one of the things that struck me, I talked about the trip up to Boston the first time that I had in 2004, and that you realize... They they ain't pulling for anybody. They they hate you because you're from New York, not because you know of Yankees or Jets or anything in particular. It's just that they don't want the New Yorkers winning anything. But one of the other takeaways I had is just how different it is for everybody to be on the same page. When you go to Boston, every single bar has lights outside with Red Sox stuff. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to have oh, some Mets here in the corner and some Yankees over here, and you got to keep it equal, or maybe you're afraid to make yourself a Mets bar or a Yankees bar or something like that. And boss, is just the whole city is one thing, whereas we spend so much time fighting amongst ourselves. It's, it's totally different up there. I think it's the same kind of passion for your teams in New York as it is in Boston, but the... Energy of it is totally different because you're you're all in it together up there, whereas you know we're messing with each other the whole time and you know talking about Mets versus Yankees and Subway Series and you know that's where the grief comes from rather than it being a you know, city versus city kind of situation. Yeah, there's more fights in the stands for Mets Yankees or Rangers Islanders or stuff like that than and on the trains. It's not even in the stands. It's on the <laughs> trains home after those games. Have you ever been on a train from the garden after a Ranger Islander game? No. You don't well, want to be yeah, there. Yeah. It it is not a fun place to be. Probably not. If the Islanders win, then it's probably a fun place to be. But well no, if the Islanders win it's not be. a fun place for Islander fans and vice versa. Uh-huh. But uh yeah, as far as that goes, like it's still unique, right? You don't like the Yankees, but you have to see Yankee stuff all the time. They win a playoff game. Yes. It's thrust into your face on, on your way home from work. When That's yeah, true. you just want to relax, get away from things, and pop the earbuds in and be done with the world, and then you got a bunch of Yankee fans there reveling, having their fun, and you know, you're not a part of that at all. In fact, not only are you not a part of it, uh, you dislike the whole thing. It's an experience that is unique to a, a two-sports town, two-team uh, town, like we are in so many sports here. Yeah, like if the Braves, I'm a Mets fan, if the Braves win something, I don't have to see Braves fans annoying me about it in on my own train. But if the Yankees do, yes, it's completely different. 800-321-0710, the number again, 800-321-0710. Uh, we'll get into the Mets general manager search. Uh, we'll have uh, some more on really what went right for the Yankees last night. I, I don't think there's anything from last night's game that – You'd be concerned about if you're the Yankees. Last night went about as well as they could have dreamed it. Not only to win the game, but the way it happened and what they have the opportunity to ride now going into the division series. 800-321-0710. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. And while the Yankees getting ready for the ALDS, the Yankees... uh, while the Yankees gearing up for the ALDS, the Mets gearing up to 
find a general manager and that search becoming real now as they start to schedule some interviews and we'll give you the latest on what happened today uh but last night we had SNY's Adam Fisher who was uh, formerly of the Mets front office here in studio uh it's a terrific listen both about what the Mets should be doing this offseason to the GM hunt to all of that and you can check it out 710wor.com slash sports but within that interview I asked Adam just how desirable this Mets job might be. Yeah, I think I think all of that is fair. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there in the media. And um, if I'm a GM candidate who doesn't really know a whole lot about it, I need to get to the bottom of it and understand kind of how much, how much, I mean, if you remember when Omar got, got hired, the whole, I mean, this, this has been a sort of a, a theme, you know, uh, for, you know, 20 years or so. Um, how much control does does the GM have with the Mets? And, um, you know, remember that quote from Omar, control with Fred, total control. And, you know, he did for the most part for, for a number of years. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think, I think you have to investigate because you want to be your own person. Um, and you need to find out kind of what the situation is. I think every team has different dynamics and there's a lot, I mean, ownership is involved with, uh, not to sort of fall back on that again, sort of every all thirty teams cliche, but you know the owners own the team; they can do what they want, mm-hmm. and you have sort of differing levels of um, involvement with all thirty teams. Some very heavily involved, and some not so much. And the Mets, uh, it's an involved ownership, both with Fred Wilpon and Jeff Wilpon. This is not a situation where. A budget is set from a corporate owner of a team and there's no one really bothering you. And all right, so here's your payroll and, you know, go do your work. It's a different dynamic with the Mets. And you have a lot of different people in that mix in the front office with Terry Collins as an influential voice to Omar Minaya, John Ricco, J.P. Ricciardi, all part of that front office right now. You're essentially inheriting a manager, Mickey Calloway as well. Now, there are no guarantees that Callaway will be part of the new GM's plan, but Jeff Wilpon did let it be known that he would like Callaway to stick around, even as he was saying that he didn't want to say that much because it might impact what candidates will tell him in their interviews. And he wants to get a, a clear vision of you know what's going on and, and what the organization needs to do. So, you know, there are complications within the Mets. Are they willing to up the payroll in the coming years? Do you have autonomy as the GM? You know, Jeff Wilpon said, hey, he's not getting involved in, you know, we should get this player or that player, but there is a final confirmation that goes through him. And that's part of it. We saw last offseason the Mets front office wanted to trade for Jason Kipnis of the Indians, and reportedly that was blocked at the top. And these are the kind of things that can happen that if you're the GM, it's got to be frustrating, right, to actually come to a deal that you're happy with and then have it not work out based on your own end. So a couple of things today, and you have one that kind of supports that narrative that maybe the guys with options, maybe the GMs with the Sterling reputations are guys that are already GMs within the game and will be looking for a president of baseball operations kind of position. Um, you know, the guys with options want to join the Mets. They should want to. A lot of these guys grew up as Mets fans. It's a New York team, big market. 
theoretically, you have more resources to work with. But Ben Charrington decided to bow out today. Uh, Also, will not interview for the Giants job either, as he's in the Toronto Blue Jays front office. And Ken Rosenthal, the Athletic, had the scoop on that. So I saw that initially. While never a big, oh, I want the Mets to get Ben Charrington guy, it is notable that one of the names we've heard bandied about for months as far as this Mets job isn't even going to interview on it based on his own choice. And you know the fact that he isn't with the Giants either maybe doesn't mean it's directly related to what's happened with ownership and, and within this Mets franchise. Uh, but I also think the Giants, that's a mess. That's a very difficult situation to fix. Is you're going to have a long rebuild. You have a lot of players that have won championships there. They're going to be very difficult to get rid of if you really wanted to blow it up and start over. It would be very difficult to do that there. So I, I can see why the Giants would not be as attractive as the Mets when you just look at the on-field product and how close you are to putting together a winner. You could squint and see the Mets with the right moves being competitive next year and certainly uh, being in a real strong position a couple of years from now if they do the right things. So, you know, when Charrington bows out, okay, that's notable. Uh, but then Matt Ehall did the report today that Thad Levine is a name that has popped up. And he is currently the general manager of the Minnesota Twins. The Twins last year, phenomenal season, charged all the way to the wild card. They look like a team on the rise. It didn't carry over at all this year. Very disappointing season. Uh, Not even in the playoff race remotely. Miguel Sano really struggled this year, and just about everybody took a step back. Uh, But a guy who's been well-regarded in baseball for a while, he's in his 40s in Thad Levine. So theoretically, you'd have his best years ahead. Uh, some other you know, tidbits from, from all around. Uh, Gary LaRock will interview with the Mets. I know uh, Mike Puma and Andy Martino, the guys doing a lot of this reporting, Puma the Post and Martino of SNY. Uh, Doug Melvin will have a interview, which we knew tomorrow, and Dan Duquette will not interview. I think Anthony Tacoma of MLB.com had that one first. So you get a sense of what's happening here, but you basically have you know, a lot of 60-year-olds right now, 60-somethings that are going to be interviewing initially, and that's that that old-school type that maybe Fred Wilpon is looking for. And I think this is the complication if you're coming into the Mets organization. Fred Wilpon has one way that he views the game, and Jeff has another. And which one really has the control? Even with the interview process, you can see how you got to somehow placate both. Because the first round of interviews will be Jeff Wilpon along with John Ricco. And then when they have some finalists, then Fred Wilpon will get involved. So you have to be able to please a lot of different philosophies and different factions, if you will. So it's a bit tricky, and, and it might ultimately become a bit of a power struggle between Fred and Jeff in terms of what the philosophy is going to be going forward. Uh, but you want everybody to be on the same page. You don't want to have friction at the top of your organization, obviously, in terms of you know, the most important hire that you're going to make for you know, half a decade is that GM, that front office, how are you going to build this thing, what philosophies you want from the bottom to the top in terms of drafting, developing, and signing free agents and making the big decisions on the major league team, all of these things. You want to have one philosophy that everybody's on board with, and that is a complicated situation uh, with where the Mets are right now. And is that something that the guys with options, the guys that 
feel they're going to have another opportunity to be a GM of a big league team. And the guys that can be choosy about their situations, will that drive them away? Because the Mets are the type of job in New York with a lot of talent on this team right now, as we certainly saw down the stretch and have seen glimpses of, even over the last couple of years, which has been so disappointing. This should be an attractive job. It should be. It really should be. You should be able to poach a GM of another team and bring him in here, like the Dodgers did with Andrew Friedman a few years ago, a move that paid off big time for them. That's the kind of thing the Mets should be able to do here. And we'll see if those guys want a part of this team. 800-321-0710, the number. Again, 800-321-0710. Let's go to Sonny in Malvern. What's up, Sonny? Hey, Pete. Long time no here. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. Do you go with a young Ivy League analytical type GM or do you go with an old school, another type of Sandy Olsen type? I think it's going to be very interesting. Um, I think it is very appealing. I mean, I don't think they're too far away. You look at the Atlanta Braves, obviously, then I don't think they're going to the World Series this year, but they're at the bottom of the basement, you know, what, last year, two years ago, and they're, they're, they're rising really fast. Now. And a lot of and young talent there, though, that in the minors that the Mets don't have at the upper levels of their system at the moment. Right, but the Mets do have the pitching staff. They do have a core of young players who I really like. Yes. Yeah, obviously, there are a few players away, maybe a little bit more, and obviously they got to rebuild the bullpen. But as far as what do you think about, are they going to let the GM? I know you, I heard you say Mickey Callaway. He's definitely coming back, Keith. As of now, it will be up to the general manager. However, I think the Mets' ownership has made it clear they want Mickey back. So if ownership wants it, even if they say, oh, it's up to the GM, if they want it, they get it. So I think you'll see okay. Mickey Calloway back, and I think it's the right decision as well to have him back as long as uh, you don't have friction between he and the GM, which is what I would worry about. Yeah, I agree, Pete. You know what? You know, in the first half, I think he had a rocky start. You can blame that on, you know, switching leagues, him and yes. the bench goes. I think the second half, there was 38-30. and 30. Matter of fact, late in the second half, I think they even had a better record than the Yankees as far as the second half was concerned. So I think he does deserve the benefit of the doubt. And, um, and then you let the GM, you know, make the decision after year one. There's nothing wrong with that. This team is going to grow. And I, my, my opinion, I would go with a younger GM, let him grow with the team because the team does have to grow, give it a few years, you know, with probably a new you know, manager, you know, year after year after the, the first year. And, um, you know, they got to bring in a big thumper, obviously, a new catcher, mm-hmm. and they got to rebuild the bullpen. So it's going to take probably two to three years. So why not bring in a young GM and let him grow with the team? Well, That's my opinion. And thanks for the call, Sonny. You know, that wouldn't be why I would want a younger GM. And I don't think it, it's about age. It doesn't have to be young or old. But I, I think you want to be in line with what has worked elsewhere in baseball the old school approach has not been successful when it has been tried in recent years the diamondbacks not that long ago brought in tony larusa longtime baseball guy make him the the head of the decision making baseball wise and they took some big steps back in arizona with that and what are the teams that you are looking to replicate la just won now, what, six consecutive NL West titles? Houston, the huge team on the rise. What the Yankees have done in recent years? That's what, there's nothing old school about those teams. Those are the teams that are ahead of the curve. Those are the teams that are set up to be good for years. And for the most part, 
have had success for consecutive years and multiple years here. So that viewpoint, I think, is one that works and that typically is that younger Ivy League educated guy. But this is the key. I'm not saying eliminate baseball people. Someone like Terry Collins, with all of the experience that he has, that's important. That matters. The best of these kids, to call them, but of the current crop of GMs that you often see hired, the best of those guys, they listen to everybody, and they take in every piece of information that they can. And it's not overload. And they're able to do that to make the right decision, to make the best decision, I guess is the the best way of putting it. It's something that Theo Epstein does in Chicago. He doesn't fire all the uh, the scouts and just rely on spreadsheets like something out of Moneyball. You listen to every, you take every piece of information that you can. And that is what you want from the person who's making the key decisions about your team. So that's why... It's not about age necessarily, it's just philosophy. And within that, you can have some analytics people, you can have some old school scouts people, and some different philosophies of looking at the game and have those debates and do it in a healthy way and you hope you keep it respectful. You don't want to have factions, but you do want to have different ways of looking at things, not a bunch of yes-men around. And that's... That's what you want to develop as a as a culture within a franchise, and and that's what the Mets have the opportunity uh, to pull off here. And again, we'll see if a lot of those younger guys that think that way, that have options, if the Mets are the team that they want to give it a shot with. It's only third of these jobs, and it's a big one in New York, one that has some talent on the field. Will they get those? kinds of interviews here. I'm curious. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. Scott Miller of Bleacher Report is going to join us from L.A. in the 7 o'clock hour. So we'll uh, start catching up on what's going on, these MLB playoffs. Again, big day tomorrow. Four games, uh, all postseason games, 2 o'clock to about 2 in the morning. You'll be jam-packed with baseball, and we certainly enjoy that. Uh, We'll take a quick break right now. Coming up. At 7.05, you're shot at $1,000. So stick around, and we can mix in some calls as well. 800-321-0710. It's a Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. Right now, it's your chance to win an MLB Network prize pack. Be caller number three at 800-321-0710, and you're the winner. Watch two division series games on MLB Network, plus live coverage before and after every postseason game on MLB Tonight. Again, 800-321-0710 to win an MLB Network prize pack. I know there's a t-shirt, a hat, some goodies in there. And we'll have another prize pack to give away to you in the 7 o'clock hour as well. David Manhattan wants to talk some Yankees here. What's up, Dave? Uh, not much. I just wanted to get your thoughts on Boone and everyone's praising him today. Is it all uh, oh, they won. You know, sabermetrics? What's that? They won, so he gets praised. If they lost, he'd get yeah. killed. Yeah, I, I I hear you, but is it is, do you think is it all of him just kind of going on the technology in the book, or do you think there's more? Well, let's get the hap on Friday. Do you think there's any way he's going to put a blumpkin up against the uh, the Red Sox? Yeah, uh, you know, as as far as hap goes, um, you know, on game one, 
Uh, we'll see what he does. He's got game five as well. This is a guy who's had some success uh, for the Yankees against the Red Sox this year. And you know, we'll see what uh, if that's able to continue here uh, against the Boston Red Sox. And then you know, as far as Aaron Boone handling things in the um, last night, one of the big decisions he made was to take Luis Severino out after the first two batters reached in the fifth inning. And it was funny, just scrolling on my Twitter, uh, you see half the people thought, oh, he shouldn't have even come out for the fifth, and half the people thought that, hey, he, you know, he's taking him out too early. This guy had seven strikeouts and four-plus innings. But that's what it is. As soon as you get into trouble, you're done. You are out. And you're not going to be able to stick around in the game. These pitchers aren't going deep. Unless they're perfect. You won't see it. The six innings that John Lester threw and Kyle Freeland had a, a real deep start for the Rockies, that's maybe as pitching-oriented a game as you'll see this postseason. And the Indians-Astros series might be able to provide a little bit of that, but most of these teams, they're, they can't wait to take their starting pitcher out of the game and get into the pen. That is the analytics and what it tells them to do, and we saw Aaron Boone utilize that part of it last night. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. Randy Miller covers the Yanks for NJ Advanced Media. He'll be with us in the 7 o'clock hour. Also, Scott Miller of Bleacher Report. So lots of baseball talk coming up right now in News Update.